you know, people people um, blast me and probably you too for like outrageous tweets and just trying to get people all crazy, mm-hmm. you know, using incendiary language. Sure. It's We've Twitter, man. That. That's how you get people to 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 pay attention. If I didn't we, we, if I wasn't such a dick with with a lot of this stuff, nobody mm-hmm. would care. There's a lot of mm-hmm. people saying the stuff I'm saying and the stuff you're saying. There's a lot of people saying it. I'm with but they're you, just man. like little they're little mice, right? They're like yeah. nobody listens. Yeah. You know, you have so a positive it's like you, message, you want people to actually hear it. Right? Right. Right, whether yeah. positive or negative, whatever it is. Um, I enjoy the challenge of like writing something viral. There's a there's a there's a nuance in the language that I enjoy, you know? Not enough people understand everything that you can do with BitRefill. Come to bitrefill.com. Take a look at their gift cards, phone refills, eSIMs. Let's take a quick look at the gift cards. Anything you can really imagine for day-to-day life. Uber, Instacart, Amazon, Apple, Walmart. The list goes on and on and on. You can buy any of these with crypto. You don't have to provide your name. You don't have to provide your driver's license. You don't have to provide any of that. As long as you have crypto, you can buy here. Let's say I want to buy an Instacart gift card. $50. Add to cart. Let's say I want to check out. Enter promo code Chris Bleck and you'll get an extra 10% back in extra Bitcoin rewards. That's about $5 worth of rewards on this $50 gift card. You can check out with any of these cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin on the Lightning Network if you want. Ethereum, USDC, Tether, Binance, Litecoin, Dogecoin. It goes on and on and on. You can buy gift cards. You can buy eSIMs for your phone in all different countries. You can buy refills for your prepaid phone service. It's all here. BitRefill.com. Use promo code Chris Black. BitRefill.com. The Bitcoin hardware wallet space can be a little confusing, but I'm here to tell you that the most important part of your decision needs to be the ethos of the team that's developing the hardware wallet. That's why I look to foundation devices. This team has proven over and over that they're committed to freedom of their users. They're committed to the sovereignty of their users. The Passport Bitcoin wallet from foundation devices is a beautiful, air-gapped, open-source, trust-minimized hardware wallet. And what do I mean by trust-minimized? I mean you never have to plug this into your computer. When you use other Bitcoin hardware wallets, you have to connect them to your computer in order to use them. You scan QR codes, you use an SD card. There's a number of ways that bypass the need to connect directly to your computer. And the whole point is to minimize trust. And for a limited time, use promo code BLEK to get three months of privacy-friendly iVPN service with the purchase of a passport. Foundationdevices.com. You may have seen me upload this photo to Twitter the other day and wondered what I was so excited about. It's my brand new Ronin Dojo Tonto Bitcoin full node. The only way you can use Bitcoin properly, the way it was meant to be used and stayed truly private, is to run your own full node. Have your own copy of the blockchain on your own full node. And when you send a transaction, you're using your full node and not somebody else's so that nobody else can associate your IP, your UTXOs, or anything back to you. When you use a full node like the Tonto, you are using Bitcoin as privately as you can. Go to ronandojo.io, use promo code BLEK to get $10 off your purchase of a Tonto full node. ronandojo.io
Justin Bonds. Yes, we have a lot to talk about. We were just saying, like, let's stop with the chit-chat before we stop recording and save the good stuff for when we're actually recording. But thank you for, like, uh, agreeing to come on. You know, I know we've had uh, interactions on Twitter, but uh, and we spoke once on a Twitter space, I think. But um, this is good. This gives us time to get more in-depth on some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. And I was very happy when you reached out to to, to come talk to me because I feel like we have so many things in common, yet we also disagree on some major things as well. So it's a really interesting combination of of ideas I think we have between the two of us. So I'll see how much of that we could. I have like a, I have like a, a yeah. Yeah. I have like a short list of things, but we probably won't get through it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, certainly. You're, so you run a, you run a a hedge fund. Yeah. Is it a hedge fund? Yeah. Okay. So you manage other people's money. That's correct. As a, as a centralized institution, the type of thing that, um, you know, I think the creator of Bitcoin, you know, wanted to mitigate that sort of risk. And, uh, I, I, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the, uh, the paradox almost, right? That I'm an advocate of decentralization, yet I manage a centralized fund, essentially. But, you know, I do invest in, in decentralized assets and, I'm, you know, I try to serve as a bridge between you know, different worlds. And I think, you know, traditional structures also still have a place in our, um, in our ideal world as well. Not that I think you'd be yeah. too much of a fan of, of a type of a smart contract fund anyway, would you? Well, okay. So, well, first of all, we all do centralized things. I mean, mm. so and we all, you know, work in centralized ways in some form. Nobody leads a fully decentralized life, right? So, yeah. um, like, I always say, like, I, I don't go out there. Like, a lot of people think that I'm just against everything centralized. Like, that's not true. Mm. Like, there's plenty of centralized stuff that's fine. And even banks and, and uh, exchanges, at least they're they're uh, honest about their centralization. You know, they're honest about the fact that you can't see all the mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. My issues are really with transparency. So I figure as long as you're – like, if you were out there saying you were running a decentralized hedge fund, then I might have a problem. It's kind of like saying you're right. running a decentralized okay. layer two mm-hmm. where you got a multi-sig, yeah. right? So, but otherwise, like, no, you got to make a living and you got, you're really good at doing something. Is your hedge fund all like 100% crypto? Yeah, 100% crypto. We only invest in, in things that are decentralized and pass of all, all of our fundamental checks, so to speak. And we're not based in, I don't know, the Bahamas or something either. We're, we're based in the Netherlands. So, you know, we are, uh, we try to tick all the boxes from a kind of, regulatory perspective. And I, I talk to a lot of institutional parties, actually, as a, as a evangelist, if you will, which I think within the cryptocurrency community, I'm a bit more of a critic, I think. Uh, but I think some What's invest- the largest holding? Um, oh, we actually do not disclose uh, what our holdings are. Yeah, that's kind of Why? the secret source for the type of fund. That we are, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you I know what the largest holding is. I- I bet you would actually. Bitcoin Cash. Oh no, no I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. I'm, I'm just glad, glad to talk about all of these things, you know, because I used to be a Bitcoin um, Cash supporter, but um, yeah, not since 2018, if I'm remembering my my years correctly. Yeah, back when it was the in thing. Right. Well, I, I, I but feel no, like I do being, want to talk about that. With you. No, I would, I would love to, because because I feel from my perspective, I was being consistent with my principles. Because I mean, the yeah, reason, which I respect. I appreciate that from, from you actually. Yeah. 
Well, the thing, so the most recent thing that we like connected on and agreed on was the issue with Ethereum layer twos. And by the way, your largest holding is 100% ETH. I know that. So uh, I won't confirm or deny. But but layer twos have a serious problem, right? Mm -hmm. And we we sort of saw eye to eye on the fact that specific to Polygon, uh, which is not a layer two, actually. I'm kind of mixing things Mm -hmm. up here. Polygon, the sidechain, is a very centralized, has a very centralized governance Mm -hmm. structure. You know, when you consider the fact that it has a multi-sig can almost do anything, but then that extends out to, to layer twos as well. So like, how does that, cause like, if it were your largest holding uh, in the hedge fund, does this kind of stuff factor in the fact that, that the, the push seems to be to be pushing business, so to speak, or transactions out to these centralized layer twos, and that could be the future of the protocol? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that, um, you know, this is, this is big influence on us in terms of not seeing as bright of a future anymore, anymore for Ethereum, because it's pushing this layer mm-hmm. two narrative, which I just don't think is as competitive, in, 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 at least in terms of like a long-term kind of utility-based perspective on, you know, fundamental perspective on value investing-based perspective on investing, right? Because that changes the calculation a bit. And, and in that sense, I just don't think it's a competitive solution. And if you don't have the advantages of decentralization and, you know, and, you know, I mean, look, look, layer twos can be technically decentralized, but you're building out an ecosystem that's extremely fragmented and then inc- will, will definitely still include like a lot of centralized and custodian solutions. Like that's not going away. And that's, that's why I've been, you know, so against this kind of L2 um, narrative, uh, quote unquote, you know, the L2 scaling solution, right? Uh, which I don't really consider yeah. a scaling solution at all. But do you think that this is the future, whether we like it or not? Or do you, do you, are you advocating for a different path? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think, I think on-chain scaling is the way forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I really think that we can scale on the base layer and, um, you know, while preserving decentralization, right, that there's a balancing act to be had there in terms of trade-offs. But, but scalability is still important. Um, and there's certain technologies, I think, that are very interesting from my perspective, such as sharding and things like enshrined roll-ups, I think, which, which to me are distinct from um, layer twos. Yeah, like the stuff that Vitalik just wrote about a day or two ago, right? Did you read that post from Vitalik? Um, I'm not sure about this. You did a long post about, yeah, I'd, about I'd, enshrining um, ZK rollups or ZK. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't read you that read it. <laughs> particular post. I do. Um, but, yeah. but I have been staying up to date with the whole ZK EVM space. And my main problem with it is, you know, when we have computer scientists and engineers telling us, oh, yeah, the, it's going to be five plus years away when we figure out how, how, how to do this. That, that to me mm-hmm. is just a giant red flag. So. For me, my criticism, like I'm not against this idea of a ZKVM. I think it's a fine idea, but I think if it's an idea that's projected to be five plus years out, I, I mean, what, what that tells me in my experience is they don't have a clue. Basically that's, that's yeah. some sky and like, like pie in the sky type of thinking. And, and that's not really what I appreciate in this space. You know, I, I'm not going to apply any double standards here, you know, when it comes to such claims, if I'm in, you know, if, if I'm looking at some small cryptocurrency and I'm, and I'm, deep diving that 
and, and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll figure out this key technology in five plus years from now. No way. Like, are you kidding me? You don't, you don't have a clue, right? Right. What's your philosophy on, on how you um, approach the space and how you decide to, to criticize and, and stuff like that? And I'll, first, I'll tell you mine just to compare. Sure. So, you know, it's really, for me, about, um, it's about um, most of the time, it's, it's, it's about strengthening an ecosystem, right? So with Bitcoin, for me, it's about if I see weak spots, I see opportunities to, to uh, influence opinions on a certain thing. Like, I'll go there and I'll sort of reveal the soft spot, right, in order to get people talking about it knowing that it might take a year or two or five for people that eventually get to a place where they want to make a fix. Um, I'd say that's 50% of my time. And the other 50% is almost like a warning people about what I see. Like, for instance, with Ethereum, I don't think Ethereum is something that can be fixed to the point where I would like align with it philosophically anymore since it's switched to proof of stake. And I want to get into that with mm. you too. Um, but it's almost like I feel like people need to understand the, all of the red flags and the warning signs with regard to uh, with regard to centralization potential for the future, with regard to how it could be a compliant blockchain in the future with all these enshrined features. Um, how do you approach the space when it comes to, to critiquing and, and offering up public opinions like that? Um, it's a very, very good question. And, and I think, and, and what I mentioned earlier is in terms of, you know, us having similarity and differences, I think we were both very outspoken uh, critics of Polygon, as you mentioned before. And, you know, so, so we've overlapped, I think, as, as critics in the space on, on, a, on a bunch of different topics. I, I think it's, in, in this case, it's really good to go to first principles um, for me. And, and I think we, I'm, I'm guessing we have most of our first principles in common, because for me, that's, that's really the empowering you know, vision that I think even, you know, that, that Bitcoin originally brought forward, like that, you know, is a self-ownership, self-sovereignty, um, you know, uh, having this, this sound decentralized money, uh, you know, a separation from the monetary power from the state, um, you know, this, this, you know, this, it's, it's about freedom, I think, for, on so many levels. And, you know, and a lot of that, you know, also for me, at least goes back to my, a lot of my political ideology as well, which, which does have some libertarian roots and and things like austrian economics so and i think we is, is do i have that right is that we all have that in common i suspect we do don't we well the two of us at yes least, not yes no everybody yeah, of course no, no, <laughs> so far yeah, yeah yeah okay so so i think for me like it is about like there's this grand vision of, of what we can achieve with cryptocurrency and how we can you know do good in the world from from like our perspective and, and, and that's, that's the vision I'm trying to maximize. And I feel, you know, within the space, my role, because I also am, you know, a, a cryptocurrency researcher and have been for many years, my role as a critic, I think, is a way of kind of giving back and, and, you know, put, put my weight on the scales, a bit of history as we can, you know, at such an early stage. Um, and, and that's, that's to a large part what motors, motivates me on a, in terms of my public critiques that I do. Um, is, okay. is I try to identify, okay. And, and, you know, I have to weigh up the difficulty of doing a critique. Some things are much harder to critique than others. It takes a lot more time. Um, and then I look up like, okay, how many people are going to get hurt by this? Right. Like how important, how, how badly is the crime? You know, how badly is the potential for, for pain here? Um, 
and in, in terms of like <laughs> the pain you're going to inflict. Well, no, uh, no, of course, of course, the pain of the victims here, right? Because because I'm not the victim. Yeah. I'm, Who I'm, are the victims? Um, in in a lot of cases, the in sorry. The developers? No, no, definitely not the developers. No, in 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 okay. maybe in some cases, but in but in most cases, this would be like things like investors um, that I'm thinking about primarily. You know, when people put a lot of money into a token and their hopes and dreams, it's all the psychological stuff that goes along. And some people are just feeding into that, I think, in an irresponsible way, and especially mm-hmm. when you know their claims don't match up with reality. And especially when someone claims to be decentralized and they're not, right? This is, I think, right. one of the big crimes as well that I think we're both motivated to call out. Yeah. So, do, wait, do you mean that before you critique something, you're thinking about how you could affect its market value? Or you're talking about saving people from losing money by critiquing something? More, more the latter, but I suppose the two go hand okay, in hand. Okay. I mean, anything goes hand in hand in this market. You know, it's the nature of cryptocurrencies. It's all attached to this token of value, which is what introduces a bunch of skewed incentives. It's like it adds all this friction that yeah. that no other technology ecosystem has. Exactly. Right when you when the technology is the money, yeah, uh, it creates such a mess yeah. of incentives. Exactly. That you don't see in any other industry, right? So, well, let me ask you this. Um, you said you're kind of not so not so bullish, or, not bullish as an investment. I'm saying the path forward for Ethereum mm-hmm. is not super clear, especially with the current sentiment, right? Pushing people to layer twos. Um, you're obviously, and we'll get into it, you're obviously not into Bitcoin as it currently exists. We should talk about that as well. Uh, I think I'll be very curious. Which I do want to talk about, but I do want to know if those two are basically not mm. the ultimate freedom path, right? Yeah. Like if those two are not the, the best path for freedom, what's the best path for free, path for, free, for freedom? Or are you at the point where it's just like crypto is not going to get us there? Oh no, I'm still a believer. I'm, I'm definitely still a okay. believer in, in, in cryptocurrency. And, um, no, it was unfortunate. If you, you know? say Solana, I'm going to shoot you, by the ah, way. <laughs> we'll get to that. But I'll add, but I'll add some nuance <laughs> to it. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so, look, I think for me, I've been a supporter of Ethereum since, since it was launched in 2015, I think it was. Um, even mining it in the first week, I had a small mining farm at the time. And I even had all my GPUX ready to mine it. And giant pain in the ass because it was all like, command line, I had to compile code. It was when I first started teaching myself how to use Linux and it was, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't very usable on launch, let's just say that. But I've been a big supporter of it because, you know, they promised to scale through sharding and there's a bunch of other specific aspects I like about it. I like, I actually do like the economic design. I do like proof of stake, which, which we should talk about later a, a bit more as well. Um, so for me to see Ethereum pivot away from layer one scaling and from my perspective, really Bitcoin history is, is kind of repeating itself in Ethereum now, if, if you think about it, that to me was a big disappointment. And then, you know, that, that made me look less optimistically towards Ethereum's future. I do think it will continue to be a dominant blockchain for a very long time because the network effects are very um, sticky in cryptocurrency, and I think Bitcoin is a testament to, to that as well. Um, 
but I think I think long run, if Ethereum stays on its current course and really fa- fails to meet demand on its layer one, then I think competitors really have a, a really good shot at, at overtaking it in the future, or actually will overtake it in the future. So um, I'm still hoping Ethereum can change. You know, I'm, I'm putting out a message saying, "Hey, this is what Ethereum needs to do to to get out of this hole." But you know, people are not necessarily going to listen to me, and um, I'm a bit critic of how Ethereum governance works. I think we disagree on the solution to that since I'm a fan of on-chain governance as a solution to a lot of these problems. But um, yeah, I actually think the governance in Ethereum is actually very similar to the governance in Bitcoin. I think that's problematic. I think when you have highly centralized decision-making and it, you know, it's a bit of a wild card in terms of predicting where that will go. And yeah, that makes me more doubtful about Ethereum more long-term. So that's why you know I'm, I'm become more interested in competing layer ones and 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 now to go back to your question it was it was difficult to be you know a critic of btc the largest cryptocurrency in the entire ecosystem since 2017 and that was it was a lot more controversial to take that position back then and now having to also be you know a critic of the second largest cryptocurrency you know that's that's not necessarily something i wanted <laughs> to do that that just does make my life more difficult you know um so yeah and and, and you know i really felt like I felt, I felt an allegiance and I had a, had a community there and they, they still, you know, host me at conferences and things like that. But it's, um, yeah, I just, it's not something I wanted to do, but it's, it's something I felt I, I had to do. And yeah, I'm looking at more alternative L1s now because, you know, if, if, if I don't see Ethereum going where I think it should be, then, you know, I'll find my perfect cryptocurrency somewhere else. Even if it means trading away some decentralization, um, no, because no. any other L one you're talking mm. about, unless you're talking about, you know, certain privacy coins or something like that, but or Litecoin or Doge, is that where you're going? No, no, not Litecoin or Doge. Okay, all right. You you want smart contracts? I want smart right? contracts. Yeah, exactly. You are, like you point. see smart contracts as sort of a, a like a must have for for freedom, or are um, you thinking more from a business point of view? Uh, both. Uh, both. So from my perspective, I think that, well, first of all, I think the goal of cryptocurrency is to create good money. And I believe that, you know, good decentralized money. And I believe good decentralized money also needs good decentralized finance to support it. You know, because otherwise everyone just ends up putting it in centralized financial institutions. And then what's the point? Well, I mean, there's still major advantages to it, to it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I feel like there's more to add there. And I think that in the developed world, at least, um, you know, using cryptocurrency as a form of money, I think it's very difficult to convince people to do that. Um, so I'm starting to, I've started to see DeFi being more like this stepping stone towards adoption as money as well. And I just think that uh, through DeFi and a lot of the related applications, I think there is um, potential for a greater adoption there and usage which then, you know, drives fees and drives demand and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, we, we have a virtuous cycle there. Um, so that, that's why I think DeFi is a necessary component. And just, yeah, just to be competitive in the market. And that's the, that's the business component, right? If you can collect more fees, then you have higher security, then you can pay for more shards. Yeah. What are some of the, the decentralized parts of DeFi that you – that you like and that uh-huh. you think are sufficiently decentralized. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, well, Let's pick them apart. Honestly, I don't think anything is really sufficiently decentralized at this point. Or well, maybe, but I'm not sure. Um, even Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, I think I think more de- more practical decentralization comes at greater scale. But in terms of in terms of let's say technical decentralization, um, there are projects out there that you know burn their admin keys, right? So Uniswap has no admin key, right? Um, let me think. What are some other examples? Uh, Maker has like no admin key, right? Has that burnt? Um, Augur, yeah. Augur is a little bit defunct right now, but had no admin key, right? Whenever you have these contracts right. that where everyone has to migrate to the next contract, I mean that's not ideal in my view because then you have to launch an entire new smart contract and ask people please move over to the next one because you literally can't change the rules i think i mean i think yeah. i think that does qualify i mean that's maybe in the minority but it's i think that that does exist you know so it's not the case that all smart contracts are bad i remember in the bitcoin community right in the early days you know things like decentralized exchanges were one of the big you know ambitions of bitcoin is like yeah we can build a decentralized exchange over bitcoin that was one of the dreams like where's right. that gone, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess one of my biggest issues with DeFi, though, as we currently know it, is that it wouldn't be possible without Chainlink. You know, and Chainlink is has the same problem as Polygon with regard to having that multi-sig that can nuke the whole thing. You know, so I initially got interested in DeFi because I thought it was going to fulfill that promise mm-hmm. that you were just talking about mm-hmm. that, like we have decentralized money. Mm-hmm. Now we need decentralized financial services mm-hmm. uh, for that decentralized money. We shouldn't have to use that decentralized money on centralized yeah. exchanges only. Right. I get that. Yeah. And that's why I was initially attracted to DeFi, but the, you know, and initially with DeFi, that's how it was advertised, mm-hmm. you know, it was advertised as trying to solve that that problem. But then just like every other project in the space over time, and in this case, it was really over a year or less, um, incentives changed. And the incentive became, how do we provide a return to these VCs who came in and decided that they needed a return through a token or through all these other ways that they have to make money in DeFi. And it became about um, just building things that were just decentralized enough to pass. Right. And using centralized price feeds uh, from Chainlink and basically taking shortcuts wherever necessary Mm -hmm. to get a product to market now because we don't have years to wait. Right. We have to get a product out the door now. And by the way, we need to do all this before regulators realize what the hell we're doing, because by that point, it'll be far too late. They're going to nuke the whole industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have to, you know, by 2023, have a token out, airdrop come up with this cool way to, you know, create this new, this new uh, investment opportunity uh, by airdropping and, and uh, then, then dumping on people's heads, mm-hmm. um, all this stuff, which is regulated in traditional markets. Right. And then, uh, but really it just became this, this kind of, this mess, mm-hmm. you know, and it, 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 to me, it almost like killed the whole idea. Um, like, I think that if we need, if we're going to see real DeFi, Anytime soon, it's going to start from scratch. Like what we've already done has been a complete disaster with regards with regards to freedom and with so it's like to, it's important to separate like mm-hmm. what we're I'm not I'm not talking about building a great investment. I'm not talking about building a great portfolio, or I'm not talking about is this going to help ETH increase in value over the next five years. I don't care about that. What I care about is 
is it going to help me be a freer person? Is it going to help me um, not have to trust people with my money? You know, is it going to help me have a plan B if I need it? Like, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And I think that's the kind of stuff you're talking yep. about, too. And and you're not wrong with everything you said there. The chain link uh, admin key can mess with the price freeze and totally tank. Uh, what is this? Several billion dollar market? Like it's crazy. Right? Oh yeah, um, at least ten. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but I think it's it's important to also distinguish a few things. So I mean, there's we can see the good amongst the bad as well a little bit more. So if I take the Uniswap for example, right? The price the price on that. Um, AMM, right? That's that's not affected by the Chainlink Oracle, right? And the Chainlink Oracle can't, you know, steal funds not directly, right? Ex right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, indirectly, arguably, maybe through arbitrage and manipulating other price feeds. Who knows? It's right. an edge case. But but I would say like that's if we if we zoom in, then we can say okay, this is a a real application where someone can exchange their cryptocurrency on an exchange with high liquidity without a uh, third trusted party, right? And there's, sure, there's a bunch of um, landmines on the way there, and it's not exactly the most user-friendly thing in the world, but those, those cases do exist. And that, to me, is that kind of glimmer of hope, you know, of like, wow, we can actually do this. And I think that's, that's proof of yeah. it. Whether it's going to be yeah, on no, Ethereum or the you. next thing. Like, that's, that's wonderful, you know? I think Uniswap's an interesting case, though, because we've seen... Uh, uh, Four version, well, three versions and, and a fourth version uh, proposed, or the fourth one is up. I don't even know anymore. I've lost track. But uh, each one has been um, decentralized, and you've had to migrate from one to the other if you wanted to use the newest one. Yeah. And we've seen people doing it. Like you referenced this before. Like we've seen people doing it, almost like you upgrade your iPhone. Sometimes, right? It's like okay, we're going to move to the new one. Uh, version three created some drama just because it was so difficult to use. Uh, but I think that where it gets kind of tricky with this stuff, and I, I've been thinking about this more lately, and this applies to the Bitcoin debates too, and Ethereum debate, all the debates, is thinking about the external stuff, the stuff that you can't see on chain. You know, and so from the on chain point of view, Uniswap is decentralized, unstoppable. You can't turn it off. Uh, you know, it's, it is, you know, it's, it's, there's no regulator that could come in and say, we have to turn off Uniswap version one. It's still there. It's always going to be there. Nobody's using it or very few are using it at this point. But it still exists. Uh, but what Uniswap's gotten good at and Uniswap, by the way, the company, uh, has grown quite a bit and has, you know, hired people that are like former, former Federal Reserve people, former, like people that have been on presidential um, staffs and worked in the White House and regulators and, uh, you know, former SEC or CFTC uh, officers. And it's, it's become this um, spook operation almost. They also created yeah, this, uh, like, this, this whitelisted uh, pool. Did you see that as well? Where they created only, you have to do KYC and AML to get in the pool and then all the institutionals can kind of trade with each other there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what version four is for version yeah. four was specifically created to allow total flexibility with how you allow access mm -hmm. to these pools yeah. with these, with the, with what they call hooks, you know, so it's building my case here for, for the fact that, yeah, we can, there's a million decentralized ideas that have been built. 
and that um, nobody's used, you know, and then there's others that have kind of caught on. But at the end of the day, isn't it just money that talks is, is that just we've seen principles just destroyed by large amounts of money over and over and over. Right. So, OK, we figured out Uniswap works. Cool. The math is awesome, et cetera. Hayden is brilliant. But then it's like, OK, all these VCs come in, all this billions of dollars comes in. And next thing you know, we're sort of slowly going down this slippery slope towards this regulated, captured KYC Uniswap. So why should I have hoped that that any of this could ever catch on in a decentralized way? So I think I think for me, um, I actually really believe in the utility of this technology. So, um, and, 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 and what that also means is that it, it's, it works because of greed in, in many ways. So like I'm coupling and sure, I, I, I find a lot of what's, I'm not a, I'm not a VC. I'm a, I'm a value investor myself. I invest in tokens for long term and that's why I do fundamental research. Right. And, and sure, I find, I find a lot of the things that happen in the VC world, not all of it, but some of it, I, especially in the crypto world, it's very distasteful. Right. What's happening there and the kind of games that are being played. Right. Certainly. Um, but at the same time, like one of the reasons I think that I really came to believe in cryptocurrency is, you know, I think before I saw cryptocurrency, I really looked at democracy as kind of this dysfunctional system. Um, and, and sure, it's the best system we have. Right. And as I think Winston Churchill said this in particular, he said, um, that democracy is the best of the worst system. It's kind of the best that we have, right? So that's that's what we go with. But I saw a lot of- Not sure I completely agree yeah. with that, but okay, we'll come yeah, back. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that. That'd be fun. Uh, I'm, I'm using a broad definition of democracy here though. Um, sure. Just, um, and and the idea though is that the, one of the reasons that democracy is dysfunctional is that, um, and w one of the reasons it's dysfunctional is that is that because it requires a very highly enlightened population for it to really function like people have to really mean well and they have to be virtuous and they have to be informed. And then only then, and, and usually it doesn't, it, it tends to break down at larger scales because then you can't really reflect the will of the people too well either. Um, my, I have a background in political philosophy if I didn't come across yet with this little rant. Um, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like this kind of conversation. No, yeah. no, that's great. Um, but then cryptocurrency came along for me and Something that I saw in cryptocurrency is that actually, no, people don't need to be very enlightened. Uh, people don't need to mean well. Uh, you're not dependent upon that. Um, it works because people follow their own incentives, right? In that sense, it's kind of this idea of the, of, of the black hand of the market, right? And, and bringing about, um, you know, positive outcomes basically, um, in the longer run. And of course, there's going to be negative externalities along the way and so forth, but, but for me, what it therefore fixed is that, okay, you don't, you actually have a system that works despite of people's greed, or actually it works because of people's greed or selfishness or selfish, self-interest, I should say. And it, and what it does is that it aligns those incentives and then it creates this public good. And I think, I think for me that, that also, that's why cryptocurrency works. So that's why I'm not too disparaged when I see people following their own self-interest, unethically even. So I'm like, okay, well, at least cryptocurrency still works under those circumstances. You know, as, as in the American founders said, you know, it still works even when there's like monsters in charge, right? So it's like, that's, that's kind of the, the idea. Well, no one's in charge, obviously, yeah. but um, it's a bit of a misquote, but <laughs> yeah. Now, this is a super interesting area to think about because this is exactly where my head's been at 
for a while now. You know, first of all, with regard to the U.S., are you in the U.S.? I'm, I'm not, not actually. I'm based in the uh, in the Netherlands and uh, okay. in Europe. Yeah. Okay. So you know, one of the reasons I got attracted to Bitcoin was because I've, you know, since I learned about the Constitution of the U.S. and how it works and why it was set up the way it was set up, you know, I saw Bitcoin as sort of a almost a parallel. Um, a very similar I idea, you know, where it's like, let's create these rails for a system to run on. And it doesn't rely on the honesty of people. Like you just said, it doesn't rely on good people uh, running the show because we take into consideration that there's no such thing as, as like a good tyrant, you know, as a good, you know, once people gain power, we have to assume they're going to get corrupted, not because they're bad people, but because that's just the way humans are. We have to acknowledge that humans are fallible, messed up, and there's no there's no human that can be trusted 100 percent with like the fate of power corrupts. the world or a country. Absolute right. power corrupts absolutely. Right, exactly. So you know that's a big reason I got attracted to Bitcoin. Me too. And now now look at how look where the U.S. is now. Okay, so we have stopped enforcing the Bill of Rights around a lot of different issues, especially the Fourth Amendment, which is supposed to, to protect our right to privacy, you know, the, our right to be not searched, uh, to not have to reveal all of the details of our life. That's violated every minute of every day. You know, then you talk about freedom of speech, religion, et cetera, and, and all this, you know, other stuff that people want to attack and are attacking with the government. And we see uh, the 10th amendment, which says that anything that is not any power that's not specifically in the constitution says to be given to the federal government belongs to the states. That's completely forgotten. Like if you say that now, bring it up, it's laughed at, right? So we've gotten to a point where the constitution is almost becoming like people want it to be a relic. People want it to be ignored in a lot of cases, change the meanings of things. Now it was created with the best technology available at the time, right? If, if, if there was the technology we have today back in 17, the, the late 1700s, it might've been a different story. Uh, but that was the best that we had back then. Now with Bitcoin, we have a lot of the same issues I feel like that are coming up and not with Bitcoin, with every cryptocurrency, Ethereum too, especially Ethereum in that people like to think of these things like they're, like they're, they're a universe, you know, like people like to think of Bitcoin, like it's, it's a universe that is unto itself. And it's just, as long as the technology works and does what it does, then we're fine. Mm. But the reality of it is that it's almost like I've been thinking of it like a planet and there's all these comets and asteroids, right. That are going to be coming at it, hitting it. And one of those comets could be um, the government. One of those comets could be BlackRock. One of those comets could be this or that or the other thing. And it just takes one to strike and to blow the thing up. Like there's all these externalities that are attacking these things all the time that have nothing to do. Like you can't see any of it on chain and you can't see any of it maybe, um, in the, in the, in the governance system, but coming from the outside with Ethereum, it's a hundred percent like regulators, governments having an influence on the VCs who are having an influence on the developers and on the development of the applications on Ethereum. Uh, and on the layer twos, and there's a reason the layer twos all have multi-sig, and it's not just to fix bugs. It's because they want to stay compliant. 
you know? And so there's all this stuff going on that's external. Uh, so that's been top of mind for me. And I'm not sure how I can ever come to terms with that not being an issue. You know, it's like, how do you create a form of like a Bitcoin or something like that that's not susceptible to people with lots of guns and people who can, you know, uh, weaponize the media against you and people who could turn the majority of the population on you. You know, it's, that's how does Bitcoin exist in a world like that? I think, I think the answer has always been grow it so large that no single party can take it down anymore. It's all you can do. Yeah. So it's like a race. We have to like make this thing succeed before the powers that be have an opportunity to squash it. But I'm, I'm I think I'm a little bit more optimistic than you. I think, um, I think we're already past the point of no return at this stage. Um, and, and actually just, just I'm, I'm, I'm a student of American history as well. And, and, I, and I do also love a lot of the ideas presented in the U S constitution. And uh, this might be a bit of a controversial take, but I think out of all the places you could live in the world, certain U S states are probably still some of the freest places you could be. And also because of the U S constitution, it, it still holds some weight. And I know nothing is perfect. No, just, no, we're we're clinging by a thread, man. <laughs> I think I think we. And I'm are. in Florida, so yeah. I know all about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're still doing okay down yeah. here. I, and I'm really, I'm really curious to understand, yeah, your perspective on on Bitcoin, because that's one of the big areas where we differ. And, and you're thinking about, you know, how can we avoid this type of capture from occurring? And I'm, I find it curious how you see all of these problems in Ethereum, right? And you're not, you're not entirely wrong. But don't you see the same problems in Bitcoin as well? Well, late, lately, the past few months, I've been turning into you a little bit with regard to, you know what? It's since I podcast, well, I was already thinking about stuff and I did a podcast with Jameson Lopp and we started talking about mining and we started talking about um, some of the threats, you know, and I'd already been thinking about, I keep using BlackRock as, as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not the only example, but it's just such a good example that resonates with people. And you know better than anybody that you need a good catchy example to get your tweet sure. out there with a get it a lot of likes, right? So that you get that sweet Elon money, right? Yeah. But um, just kidding. <laughs> now, you know what? And by the way, sidetrack, you know, people, people um, blast me and probably you too for like outrageous tweets and just trying to get people all mm -hmm. crazy, you know, using incendiary language. Sure. We're both guilty. It's of that. Twitter, man. That's how you get people to, to, to pay attention. We, we, if I didn't, if I wasn't such a dick with, with a lot of this stuff, mm -hmm. nobody would care. There's a lot of people saying the stuff I'm saying and the stuff you're saying. There's a lot of people I'm with saying you, man. it, but they're just like little, they're little mice, yeah. right? They're like, nobody listens. If you have a positive you know, message, so it's like you, you want people to actually hear it, right? Right. Yeah. Right, whether it's positive or negative, whatever it is. And I enjoy the um, challenge of like writing something viral. There's a there's a there's a nuance in the language that I enjoy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Hey, look, and my, my history too has been in marketing. Um I did marketing for sports. I spent a number of years with the UFC Ultimate Fighting Ooh. doing marketing, writing copy, promoting fights. So it's like, you know, it's it's in my background is to to hmm. to draw on people's emotion to get them to to think about something yeah. or to get them to, to do something, I'm with you know? You. So that's why I like your content as well. Anyway, we have that in common. Huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but for Bitcoin, like I, I I'm all about criticizing areas that I see as weak mm. because I think that that's the only way we can get 
them stronger. So you know, me, so I have a number of concerns. So I'll, I'll share with you what for me is the is my biggest concern. Um, besides maybe Security the budget, um, right? long term. Um, Okay, maybe not including the uh, the th stuff of the security model. Maybe we'll get into that later. Okay, that's a big concern. But actually, my biggest concern is actually governance, and that's what makes me so concerned that you know it won't fix things in time, basically, because the governance is dysfunctional. So, I, you know, I've thought a lot about you know when changes to Bitcoin happen, right? Like, what is the governance process? Like, what is actually the decision making process in practice? Not, not some idealized version. No, like what, what is actually the real politic of it? Right? Like how many people does it take to get together in a room and all agree on something? And if they then come out with it publicly, does it actually happen? Even if it might be controversial, uh, or, or can they block things? Right? So for me, mm -hmm. like doing that type of an analysis on Bitcoin, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about the state of governance. And that's, I think for me, what a lot of the block size debates were about as well. And, you know, I was, I was on the quote unquote losing side of that, let's say. Um, but I think, you know, this idea that, that there's only one implementation, right? One client's implementation, one dominant one, at least that's calling all of the shots. And you have a literal lead maintainer who has the final say over code changes. And you have this whole culture kind of propping up the supremacy of, 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 of these developers, I, I think that's a major problem because that concentrates power in the hands of a very few people, which is then very easy to then capture and corrupt and pervert. And, and, you know, it's subject to all of these external powers now. And, and that's where I also, I'll, I'll, I'll just go straight for the, um, for the, for the major points here. Like I see a major conflict of interest. The same I see in Ethereum, by the way, where say a lot of the, um, uh, Bitcoin developers are being paid or have shares in companies such as Blockstream and um, um, uh, what's the other one? Oh man, I, I forgot the name. But there's a few companies like that that are um, you know funding developers, um, and and like these companies can have like a conflict of interest. For instance, favoring layer two scaling over layer one scaling. For instance, or you know maybe and and also uh, there was this great did, did you read the CIA report that happened like a year ago the CIA put this thing that was no was sorry it was sponsored by the CIA and basically they said the way to say take over a cryptocurrency or disrupt it is to target the core developers and and I, and, and I think they're right I think that's such a key pain point and like even if the even if the developers are honest they could also just just be making like wrong decisions, right? Because the governance process is not conducive to actually creating the best decisions. So that's like a more optimistic scenario as opposed to being captured. But that to me is is one of my biggest concerns around Bitcoin. And part of the reason I'm an advocate for systems of on-chain governance to kind of mitigate those problems and add the checks and balances and add the restrictions to to governance, which I think, you know, mirroring the US Constitution in, in so many ways and 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 that idea of a republic, right? Is you're limiting power, you're dividing power. And if you formalize it, then, then instead of uh, the rulers being in the shadows, you kind of bring it out into the open. And, and, and I think that's, that's a better way to do things. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting, I think, um, dichotomy in how to think about these projects. I think that one of the things I like about Bitcoin is that 
it is more of an organic uh people think of it as immutable and as you know it is what it is it's never going to change right but the reality of it is that it is a first and foremost it's a brand right bitcoin is a brand and the brand is you know whatever the the bitcoin brand points at is what most people are going to think is bitcoin right so when Bitcoin Cash happened, it lost the battle for the brand, right? As much as Roger Ver tried, you know, it's, you know, he lost the battle for the brand and it was decided by, you know, a lot of the big powers that you were talking about, but more importantly, it was decided by public opinion, you know, and public opinion was swayed in a certain way, but the, what we have today became Bitcoin. I'm not sure if that's, that's entirely true. The, the public opinion. Which piece. part? That, 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 that the split, that the result of the split was purely the result of a egalitarian public opinion. I think there was a lot more politics going on than that. I think mass censorship had, had a lot to do with the outcome. I think yeah, that the exchanges that. Mm -hmm. actually named one side of the ticker, BTC, also had a, had, had a lot to do with it. Yes. And, um, you know, I think you know, for a lot of the polls that were taken and for a lot of the, the ecosystem and industry, every, most major parties were supporting an increase in the block size and the developers got to do the thing that they wanted to do instead. So, I mean, that, that to me was an example of, oh, these, these developers actually have too much power. And in, from my view, also yeah. doing the wrong thing. I'm not sure. Like we, we might disagree on, on, on that one in particular, but. Um, well, regardless of like what, which you think, which you, mm. which side you agree with, I think my point is that Bitcoin is sort of this flowing thing that goes through these forks in the river and, ultimately goes down one of these paths and then it's up to the individuals involved if they want to participate with that, endorse it, go off in a different way, um, you know, try to get adoption with a different technology as opposed to formalized on-chain governance, which sort of treats the project as more of like, this is the project in a hundred years, this is still going to be the project. We're going to go through iterations that governance is going to choose. And so I'm not saying one's right or wrong. But I'm saying like they're almost two different concepts for a path forward for a cryptocurrency like this, right? So it's you you seem to be leaning more towards this system of we need to figure out on-chain governance, the, you know, how it's gonna work, participants, et cetera. And then we need to sort of steer that ship, navigate these waters and try to keep out the big money, keep out the big, you know, governance. No, no, and no, stuff no, like no. That. We, we need governance to... so that it can resist the corruption of big money. Okay. Yeah. I mean, how does, see, that's something that, that's where I start to get concerned because big money seems to corrupt everything. Hmm. So if you can't keep big money out of a system like Actually, Bitcoin, I, how do you I should rephrase that to harness the uh, greed and corruption of to big harness. money. Harness. Yeah, I think that so would be you like way. proof of stake. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Because that, that clearly aligns those incentives. I mean, proof of work basically works on the same principles. Just pros and cons to each. I, I think more of the pros land on the, stake but we're actually uh let's let's not move on from the previous subject just yet um this is becoming mm -hmm. quite interesting um because because in my view right it's 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 you know that's that's why we need the governance is to kind of um keep the system uh away from corruption it's 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 because if you don't have that what you end up with in practice is a very few people making all of the decision and i think that that is very much goes against the ethos of cryptocurrency. 
Because I think, I think that's practically what ends up happening behind the scenes. Well, how do you think they're making those decisions? I, I completely understand, and I actually share a lot of the concerns yeah. about what are the incentives for these developers mm-hmm. who's paying them. Yeah. You know, I look at like like Luke Dash Jr. getting paid to do work on BIP 300, getting paid by Layer 2 Labs, who's out there the biggest proponent for BIP 300. Mm-hmm. And he's pu- publicly said he doesn't even philosophically align with it. He's just doing the work he's paid to do. Well, it, and it he is has this Luke influence Dash Jr. Access. He doesn't philosophically align with a well, lot of things. he's just one example. Of, <laughs> I don't want to pick on him, but he's yeah. a good example of like, you know, somebody with influence and access mm-hmm. getting paid to use that influence and access. Yeah. Um, and almost just be a hired gun. So like, um, where was I going with that? Um, that I forgot. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> conflict of interest of developers, right? Cause he's being, yeah. Paid. So I get concerned about that too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I forgot where I was actually heading with that whole line of thought. No, that's that. That's okay. No. Cause the way, the way it looks like, right. Is you have this GitHub. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you have. I think in the case of Bitcoin now, it's five people who have like a veto power, I believe it is, right? Those are the mm-hmm. maintainers. And then you have the lead maintainer who basically has a final say of the system. And, and what they claim, what they claim is they say, this is a perfect meritocracy, right? And this is this beautiful, organic, emergent behavior that comes from it where the best ideas always win, right? That is the claim. Right. But I think in reality, um, like we said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They kick out developers that don't agree with them and then claim consensus, right? I, I don't think that that is truly a meritocracy. And, and I think there's a lot of conflicts of interest. And I think that's just far too centralized as a system. And I think that's resulted in bad decision making, in my view, um, such as not scaling um, the blockchain like to up to reasonable levels, as was always intended, right, by, uh, by the founder. I'm really curious on your view on that, actually, since, since we're touching on it now. Wouldn't you support, say, a moderate increase, say, 8 megabyte blocks? I mean, it would bring so much more utility. Or, I mean, like 32 megabyte blocks, right? Like, you can still verify that on a, um, on a Raspberry Pi, right? If you just add some code optimizations yeah. for that. You can still verify that on a Raspberry Pi. Six, uh, 32 megabytes, and then you have the scale of of a freaking paypal and now and now you can truly use bitcoin as money and now it's like this empowering thing that people actually have direct access to with low fees and you solve the security dilemma i i will say i, I think isn't that, that just a no-brainer knowing knowing what i know now after having watched ethereum try to scale with layer twos mm. and watching the lightning network struggle yes. um knowing what i know now um and I wasn't like a, a vocal advocate for either side, really, um, at the time. But it does make sense. At the same time, I am in the process right now of syncing a, a node, mm. and it's taken me a solid week. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, it's uh, it, I, I can see both sides. Mm-hmm. But I do agree that I do agree that um, the decision there went in a certain way because of of money. Like there were closed door meetings. Yeah. We weren't at privy to all that information, all those conversations. We know there was the New York stuff going yeah. on and like whatever it's like else. Like two hundred million um, plus of funding for Blockstream, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but but what do you think? What do you think was the motivation for 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 that outcome? Like, why did they want that to go that way? I'm I'm hesitant to know what's in other people's minds 
So I can say, look, there was a... It must have been a business decision, right? right? Well, like, clearly there's a conflict of interest, right? I think, I think you know, Adam Back, uh, Greg Maxwell, um, you know, a lot of these folks have, you know, shares in Blockstream and they raise a lot of money through VC funding. And Blockstream's promises to build L2 solutions for profit. And that, that clearly benefits from not scaling the layer, basically. I can't, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that they had this type of um, perverse intent, right? But I think it's highly problematic mm-hmm. that it's there in the first place. You know, they could truly believe in the ethos that they promote, or maybe they were, you know, biased a bit uh, in, in that true belief. But you know, I, I, I can't say. But you know, either way, I think it's, I think it's wrong because it, it completely destroys, you know, what Bitcoin was actually meant to do. I think Satoshi, I think we can agree, was right. very clear on this about what the intent was of Bitcoin in the white paper, in, in his writing extensively. And, and I think for me, yeah. that was really a pivot away from the social contract, which to me really flies in the face of what Bitcoin was supposed to be. It's not supposed to pivot away from the social contract. So now I'm like, wow, so blockchain, can, can, that can happen? That, that, that's why now I'm like, okay, this is just a major systemic failure in governance. And this is why I'm trying to find like solutions to that. Like, how can we design a blockchain in such a way to avoid these problems from reoccurring? Because the same thing is happening to Ethereum now. So, like, how do we avoid that from repeating? Yeah. Yeah. yeah if there's if there's one thing I've learned over the last like three four years, it's that the money is always going to come down on the side of scaling because there's more opportunity for profit. Mm-hmm. There's more opportunity to build a business around scaling solution yeah. than there is around having native uh, solutions on the layer one. No, no, but the layer one can scale in my view. So f- no, I'm saying yeah. like, yeah, but there's less profit potential for third parties, correct. for venture capitalists, yeah. uh, etc. Yeah. If you have that kind of yeah. a solution. And that creates so, this perverse incentives because they can't rent seek right. on the layer one. They can on the layer twos that they might build out. And, and this is why just so I'm also offering some solutions while critiquing. Um, this is actually where I think like treasury systems, blockchain treasury systems come in. Because if you say take 10% of the block reward, you put that in a treasury, you then have a proposal system with like decentralized voting, right? There's going to be a lot of inefficiency, I know, but at least that creates a L1 bias source of funding, which can counteract the influence of this kind of perverse incentive that we're identifying. This is why I've been a supporter of that type of design. Um, things like Dash, Decree, Tezos um, have implemented this and more. Um, not Ethereum, unfortunately. Yeah. Ethereum, you know, I, in my opinion, is far worse off in this regard than Bitcoin. Oh, well, he- I here I'll disagree um, with you, right? Because if we're talking about... Uh, I'll tell you why. And I'll also tell you why. You can start. because well okay DeFi had a lot to do with this Mm -hmm. um DeFi had a chance to be built on top of decentralized um stables like dai you know and others that could have existed but didn't because they didn't see the reason to Mm -hmm. instead it was built on the back of tether of usdc of paxos and whatever else and at this point, you know, we're still talking about Ethereum is interesting because of DeFi, right? That's why Ethereum is interesting. Sure. That's why Ethereum is at 1800, whatever, or no, where's Ethereum? I don't even know. I don't look at prices that much. Same. 
But the reason Ethereum is interesting is because of DeFi and because of that innovation uh, and because of all the VC investment. The problem, though, is that they've developed this ecosystem that has to all move together, right? So there cannot be disagreement within that 10 to $20 billion ecosystem, including USDC Circle, including Tether, including Chainlink, including anybody else who's involved and reliant on those organizations. They all have to move along together or else the thing starts to fall apart because they're all intertwined, right? Because of the way the tech works. So, you know, if a hard fork is proposed and Circle likes it, but Ave doesn't like it, Ave is going to go with Circle because their whole shit's going to fall apart if they don't all stick together. Mm-hmm. We can, we've saw this already, which nobody really paid attention to, but it was a really interesting case study with the proof of stake fork. Uh, because the proof of work chain is still there. It's still being mined, actually, which is funny. Um, and all the DeFi stuff that was on the, you know, everything that was on the chain pre-fork went along on the proof of work chain too, except USDC wasn't honoring tokens. Tether wasn't honoring. Nobody's honoring any of those tokens, but Aave was still there with all the balances. They had compounds still there, Uniswap still there, everything's still there. And everything just imploded like instantly, right? And everything's getting liquidated. Everything's getting, it's like a complete shit show because the, the tokens aren't being honored anymore. You know, none of it is redeemable. So those organizations overtly control the future of Ethereum. If if Circle doesn't like a fork and doesn't go, nobody's going. If mm-hmm. Tether doesn't like a fork and doesn't go, nobody's going. Uh, so that as a put, like those are direct vested interests mm-hmm. that are controlling the mm-hmm. future of Ethereum, whether or not they're paying off the devs. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have any involvement with that. If the devs do something that they don't like, the devs are going to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's very clear Let me respond. as opposed to Bitcoin, which yeah. I hear yeah. and I understand what you're saying about Bitcoin, but it's a little bit hazier. It's not quite as obvious, which may be worse, maybe more dangerous, but it's less of a direct threat, I think, in the near future. Mm-hmm. No. And now, what do you think? And I think you have a point. Actually, I, I think, I think there are potentially perverse incentives there. Though I did think making Ethereum harder to fork, I thought you would actually like that as opposed to not like that. That's okay. Um, how did they make it? Oh, you mean because of that? Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you have to, you have to sit down in a room yeah. with circle tether yeah. and all these but, guys. Uh, uh, but I suppose uh, one of the reasons I'm, I'm less concerned over this than you are. And, and I definitely acknowledge that this is, you know, there can definitely be some perverse effects there. And yes, it does make it more difficult to kind of have this kind of for governance. But I think from my perspective, I think that, you know, splitting a chain, you know, that type of governance, that's like the nuclear option. In my view, that's what you do when everything else has fell apart and you're just so far ideological apart and everything else has failed that, that then you, you press the big red button. And, and like, I think that should be the very, very last thing in a long line of processes to kind of fix things. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. this is why in my view, it's like, okay, well, like, yes, it does make it more difficult to fork and, but, but, you know, I, I would rather see a, um, a decision, an internal decision-making process that, um, you know, where, where more diverse voices can be heard and, um, you know, that, that is more inclusive and, you know, and, and ultimately, of course, as an advocate on-chain governance, you know, it's tied to actual incentives, right? Through stakeholder-based voting. Same reason, you know, as in proof of work, you can actually do something similar, um, with, with the miners, right? 
Um, so, so I think that, that to me means also, and, and, and that goes on to my, to my next point, because one of my major concerns really is, is this kind of centralization in the development, right? And in the case of Ethereum, there's a very big difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin in that regard. And uh, there is actually multiple dominant client implementations in Ethereum. So, so it's not just a single dictatorships. It's like several dictatorships that kind of have to uh, negotiate with each other, right? Which I think is better because mm-hmm. it's, it's just another step removed from having that sort of extreme centralization, right? And, and I think that's, yeah. and I think, I think, cause I'm more interested in preventing, like I think if a, if a governance mechanism keeps forking, keeps splitting, I think that that's extremely destructive. That's one of the reasons I stopped, you know, believing in Bitcoin cash, let's say. Cause I'm like, wow, okay, this is actually systemic. Like it's still happening. Like this, you know, you had the BSV fork and then you had the eCash fork and it was just a disaster, you know, in, in, in that regard. And, 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 and I don't think, you know, Bitcoin is really that different. It's essentially the same design, right? As Bitcoin Cash. The only difference was the, the bigger block size limit and it's more optimized, right? Cause core developers are not optimizing for that. Um, which is a consequence of that too. So I think for me, like if, if I identify as, um, a, a lack of client diversity, uh, extreme centralization of power in clients, right? If I identify that as a problem, then obviously I'm going to see Ethereum actually being better in that regard because it has multiple clients implementations. The culture supports that. And it went through a lot of effort from the early days to actually make sure it was done that way. Just like the core developers made a lot of effort to push out any alternative clients during the block size debates. Because it wasn't always that way in the case of Bitcoin. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot to unpack. About- I should have given you a bit more breaks in between there. Well, you know, I, I want to, like, on a grander scale, mm-hmm. proof of stake versus proof of work, and specific to Ethereum and Bitcoin is fine. Um, in my view, the switch over to proof of stake for, for Ethereum, you know, you, you mentioned that you like, you like it as a form of governance mm-hmm. and it makes more sense to you than proof of work. It's an efficient uh, consensus algorithm um, as well. What do you dislike about it? I'm really, really curious. Well, my concern is, is, is that it, one of the things about proof of work that I appreciate is the friction that's created between the incentives of miners versus the incentives of other ecosystem participants, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it sort of goes back to that constitution comparison where, you know, you've got competing incentives, which adds friction. It's like a division of power. Right. It makes it harder to to affect change. And a lot of people point to that and say, that's bad. Mm -hmm. That's a bug. Right. I point to that and say, that's good. Yeah. You know, because I think that making it more difficult to implement changes Mm -hmm. uh, is a positive feature of a system. No, actually, I actually agree. Yeah. Well, with regard to Ethereum, you know, and this and proof of stake, Mm -hmm. my big concern now is that that validators incentives are directly aligned with Pretty much everybody else, like everybody's incentives are aligned to grow the value of Ethereum, to, uh, to grow to, you know, to, to, and not just the token value, but to um, keep ETH longer term, to keep it in compliance, right? Because you can't have a strong ETH token if it's not in compliance with the law, you know? And I think that longer term. Couldn't you make the same argument easier? 
No, uh, because Bitcoin is almost defining the law. You know, I think mm. that Bitcoin pre-existed a lot of the, the the scrutiny. You know, because it's the reason. I mean, look, if Bitcoin could be stopped, that sounds that sounds like a stopped, double standard right? to me. No, let me explain. Bitcoin developed in silence, right? Bitcoin sort of. If Bitcoin wasn't released in 2009 and had like that five, six, seven years to bubble up before anybody in government cared. I mean, it was only like two years ago, three years ago, and we're sitting here saying, like, imagine the day when they say Bitcoin in Congress. Imagine the day when the president says Bitcoin. You know, it's like what happened? it had a long time to mature. And by the time they figured it out, it was too mm -hmm. late. Okay. So isn't that true for the whole industry? All of now? The, no. All of the things that make Bitcoin valuable were created in the first five years, I would say, like the the decentralization level, the immutability, et cetera, et cetera. With Ethereum, like I said before, everything valuable about Ethereum is being created now with Web3, with smart contracts, with, with DeFi, that ecosystem is seeking compliance because without compliance, it has zero value. So proof of stake makes it easier and all the stuff Italic's now pitching with enshrining, you know, all this stuff in the protocol as opposed to building on top of it, um, it's all pointing towards a road to, toward compliance, you know, which limits freedom, which points to a blockchain that's ultimately going to be um, government friendly. Incentives being aligned between validators and the rest of the ecosystem makes it is going to long term make it easier for Ethereum to go in a direction mm. that's anti-freedom. Um, I'll I'll push back on that. Um, for a few reasons. And I also want to just kind of loop it back to, to what we're saying earlier as well. So there's two reasons, primarily, if I really simplify things, two reasons why I think that proof of stake is superior. So one is governance and the other one is just from an efficiency consensus algorithm point of view. Okay. So on the governance side, you know, during the block size debates, I think there was a lot of theories and I myself included, you know, wrote some theses about this as well, um, that you know, that what role do the miners play in governance? And I think that was a very important question. And, and I think in the end, when it came to this kind of decision-making, I don't feel like the miners had much of a say in governance because the majority of miners actually wanted a block size increase, right? And the developers, you know, went, went along and did what they wanted to do anyway. So, so I think for me, the miners were too weak. And, 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 you know, they're the one party that has like a proof of positive incentive because of proof of work, like they're the one party that really should be a very strong um, uh, factor, let's say. If you say, uh, I, I wrote something called um, the theory on governance to free stage model, where I argue that there's three primary groups and that is like a checks and balance system. But I think in the end, what ended up happening is the miners ended up being very weak on that front. And I think one of the reasons for that and one of the ways that proof of stake is potentially different, experiment still needs to play out its course. So. Um, but is that I think that miners tend to have a um, too short term of a um, incentive. So, for instance, they're going to prioritize short term decision making over long term decision making because they don't want to rock the boat because they tend to be very mercenary. They tend to think about things in terms of three to five year timeframes in terms of electricity contracts and hardware. So I feel like as I think if they're preferencing such uh, short-term decision-making over long-term decision-making, then that to me explains, I think, why they didn't play a stronger role in, in, in 
in this. And I think that miners ultimately, I think they're because they're so mercenary, they just they just follow the market. They're not really making decisions. Right? And I think Yes. Yeah. And I think one of the differences in proof of stake, and Ethereum doesn't have this, by the way. Um, but I think something I do advocate for is you have very long lock in periods. The the longer you lock it in for, the the more right. the reward. And that way you can actually skew a system more towards long-term decision-making. And I think that's something that's possible with right. proof of stake that's not possible for proof of work. Okay, so that's, that's the governance angle, right? From a consensus algorithm design angle, right, I see a system that's simply more efficient, right? And if you look at, you know, how difficult is it to attack a system, I look at something like what is the cost to attack the system? For the same amount of money, uh, you have a system that's actually more secure. And what that means is that, you know, you can, you can balance that differently, but you can have more security or you can actually have a system that's more economically sound because, you know, you can, uh, you can be burning more and you don't need to generate as much inflation for things like, um, you know, maintaining the security budget, right? So there's a, there's a bunch of advantages there that I think, you know, by several orders of magnitude, I actually think uh, proof of stake is actually more secure if you think about potential attack scenarios in terms of how much money would an attacker have to put in to actually attack this system? And there's a lot of devil in the details here in terms of working out that scenario, but that's basically what I'm arguing. So I'm saying, okay, it's more secure, has the potential for more sound economics, and it's a better governance mechanism. And just to me, it just seems to achieve those purposes better than proof of work does. That's kind of what I was alluding to before with it being potentially a feature, not a bug. You know, and again, go back, think about the constitution. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be said that there's competing time horizons within that as well. You know, you think about um, Supreme Court's there for life, president's there for four years, senator's there for six years. Well, the years, Supreme you know, Court is like, a perfect example of that, right? That That's yeah. where you, quote-unquote, enforce a long lock-in period to ensure long-term decision-making and eliminating um, external pressures potentially as well. Right? So Supreme Court's the validators? Is that what you're saying? Um, if they lock in their stake for long <laughs> enough, yeah, that's how. Hail the new Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what I was getting to was, is it really a bug to have a a branch of government or whatever you want to call it mm. um, that is acting as a competing um, incentive system, a competing time horizon, mm. doesn't match up exactly with other participants of the ecosystem? Or is it better, um, you know, not thinking, security is almost, it's a, critical, obviously, but it's a separate issue from the governance aspect, you know, and I agree, miners are typically not vocal governance participants, mm -hmm, exactly. Um, which was evidence with Ethereum's fork, yep. right? Like they, miners had they no had power no say over whatsoever. that fork, yeah. right? So yeah, as much as they wanted, might have wanted to, <laughs> right, right. So like they lost their living and they knew they were going to lose it. You know, they knew they were going to lose um, all the benefits of being an Ethereum mm -hmm. miner and they, um, you know, but but most of them probably weren't too vocal about it because they saw other opportunities to be mercenaries right. on other I mean, chains. I mean, I right? I see where you're heading with this, and like you're right, it could be a feature if the system was balanced out with another party that had long-term incentives, and and I don't think that's actually the case, and that's where I see a problem with Bitcoin's design. So what you're saying is nobody in the Bitcoin ecosystem is thinking long-term? No, or what no are you of course I'm not saying that. There's plenty of people that are thinking long-term. Um, I think you, I'm not sure how, how much you've talked about the security budget and things like that, but I know, um, you know, Eric Wall and, you know, Paul Stork and 
there's there's a lot of Bitcoiners that I respect that have actually been very vocal about the shortcomings of it. No, I think I think the problem is is that the people in charge are not. Well, I think pe- there being people in charge is a problem in of itself. And then you know an extension of that is that they're not doing what needs to be done to prevent potential disaster in, in Bitcoin's design. And maybe that's a good segue to talk about long-term security and why I think that more inflation will be introduced when the security budget runs out in seven to 11 years from now. Yes, seven to 11 years from now. The security budget runs out in seven to 11 years from now? Five to nine years from now. Sorry, I'll revise that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, uh, so, so, so originally, right? You mean it just goes... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so originally, uh, the original design of Bitcoin was um, you have a very large number of transactions, each paying a small fee. This has utility, this has purpose, therefore this is a sustainable security model. And it's like sustained fees as well if you have a high underlying usage, right, and a, and a decent amount of capacity. That was how Bitcoin was originally designed. And the inflation in Bitcoin really should be seen as like this bootstrapping mechanism, right, to fund security until fees can actually take over. Because the halvening are exponential, right? So it's if you think about how exponential functions work, um, it can't just keep doubling every four years. Very quickly, you start running into territory that's just like... And, and the reason why I say that is because in order for the security budget to remain the same, the price has to... If, and if there aren't additional fees, then the price has to double in order to maintain that same security budget, what is being paid out to the miners, Right. So every four years that halves, that means the security budget is halving. And, and I don't see a way that Bitcoin is going to be able to have sustainable high fees, um, which would be in the tune if you want to just have today's security, uh, which potentially could be lower than today. But for today's security, it needs to be around $60 to $80 per transaction. And, and I just don't think that that's really something that's going to happen in a competitive market, at least not sustained because, you know, because of the way the fee market works, you kind of have these fee spikes. But the way, I mean, the fee spikes alone are not going to be enough. So basically, if you pay less to the miners, the security, uh, the cost to attack the system, as I mentioned before, drops lower and lower until it actually becomes profitable to attack through things like uh, double spends, um, through 51% attacks on things like exchanges. And that's when, you know, censorship can also occur. It becomes very vulnerable to censorship. And, and this is how it ties back into all these things, right? I'm saying if Ethereum's economic model is more secure, it's paying out more for security, that means it's more censorship resistant, right? That means it's harder for any single one party to come along and take it over. If the security budget for Bitcoin is 10 million, right? A state actor can literally take over the system for like eight million or something, or probably a bit more like 16 million or something. But still, that's, that's too low of a number, right? That's, that's, a, that's, that's a huge problem. That's a huge existential threat to Bitcoin's existence. And I think that um, for me, the solution was always attract real use cases, utility that creates fees, then it becomes sustainable, then you can have your uh, supply cap, right? But I think instead, the core developers were really like, no, we will not increase the block size limits. And they'd rather increase the inflation over that. And, you know, people like Peter Todd have been publicly talking about this, that in order to remain secure, uh, inflation has to be um, increased. Um, And that to me just, is just, it just goes against, you know, one of the few advantages that I think people cite for Bitcoin. And and I think that's terrible. The, like to add inflation would be terrible? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it might be the best solution, but that's that's terrible, right? I mean, if if it pivoted now, it's terrible today, right? But if it's your only option, sure, sure. But I mean, that's that's terrible? a terrible outcome, in, in my view. If if there were better outcomes, I mean, like if if you know if it started attracting usage now, if it pivoted its narrative now, if it, if it increased the block size now, there's a chance it won't have to do that. But I don't see that happening. If I look at who's in charge. Who's making the decisions? What what kind of resistance would there be to that sort of change? And if I try to like calculate, like what is the probability of change before the security budget runs out? Yeah, that's a huge problem, um, and that's something that I've yeah. been shouting off the rooftops. One of the things um, that I just want to call out is you mentioned that um, you said it's harder to change Ethereum and make it and to add censorship to it because of its proof of stake structure. Well, that's, that's depending right? on how easier. much is securing the system. Right. Right. The one caveat I want to add there, just because it is somewhere that I get hung up philosophically mm -hmm. is what I said before of thinking of the externalities, not just what's happening on chain, yeah. but the externalities um, and the side effects, the unintended consequences of having an, a fully aligned ecosystem that's fully aligned. Um, as far as the incentive of driving up the value of of the token, and um, which, which is, when you have that kind, in my of, view, is still a good motivation generally. But but there are definitely negative okay, externalities. But, I agree. So continue. Right, and one of them is the fact, and I think we're seeing it already, the fact that there's a high incentive to become and to stay compliant. You know, to not be uh, to not be working. As, well, for, uh, let me back up. Specifically for Ethereum, because of what it's building with DeFi, because of what its aspirations are, which are to be sort of the, the base layer of, of programmable money uh, in the future. So the aspirations of the, the validators um, who are heavily backed by VC, who are centralized entities themselves, mm -hmm. right? They don't want to have this pirate kind of system. They don't want to be uh, a Monero where they're getting banned everywhere. And developers also backed by VCs. Yeah. yeah, and so it yes, developers. They are. Right? So, like, is that that different? It's different in that they don't. Do you? Are you honestly pointing to like Bitcoin as having the same level of alignment no, no, philosophically no. between those parties? Because uh, they don't alignment. Right? Oh, that's that's a, that's another question entirely. I was talking about the. I mean, they, they're both backed by VCs. Ethereum clearly has more VC investment, but I think that's because there's more utility there. But I but I do think it's somewhat of a mischaracterization. Even you know, with all of my critique of Ethereum, I think it's a bit of a mischaracterization to say that they want compliance. I mean, the narrative is clearly one of decentralization. I mean, that's what motivates the community. And I, I disagree that the incentives necessarily line up to just embrace compliance on like a native L1 level, which would ruin a blockchain and would make me more concerned for Bitcoin, actually, because they have the same fundamental design in terms of its core aspects, right? That, that would even be possible. Um, no, I think, I think that decentralization is actually what makes it valuable. So it's like once you add compliance, then you just ruin it. Then you're just back to whip two again. And then like, what's the point? Just an exercise in futility, you know, it's just like a, like mm -hmm. a bait and switch. So I think even if that were to happen in Ethereum, which, which I doubt, but even if I just entertain that thought, like just for the matter of argument, you know, I think in the long run, a decentralized blockchain that can offer a lot of utility, I think that will still be far more um, competitive in the market. It'd be far more attractive in the long run.
So yeah, that's the- right. But we know there's there's yeah. certain things that the government, that U.S. government, that the European government, and other powerful governments won't accept. Yeah. Right, and they won't accept uh, a blockchain that that has the capability of changing in a way that'll you know eliminate uh, privacy from the government. That'll be able to comply I know, with I, I, I like think, KYC AML. I think it's a very pissy- um, the government's. Go ahead. Sorry. Huh? Sorry, I'm just well. My, if the governments see a way to achieve those end games, which they do with Ethereum already, because of the alignment of incentives, uh, particularly of, of validators and the big money behind it, the external money, if they see a way to get in, they'll get in, and they may see that with Bitcoin too. But it's a less direct route. I think with Bitcoin, it, but ultimately the attack will come in the form of of a fork and attempt to hijack the brand. Um, I think they could easily fork Bitcoin to proof of stake and convince the dummies of the world that that they're in about five to nine years ago. Yes, from now, if the security budget runs out, that creates the perfect storm for that sort of thing to happen. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's like you know, at that point, that's what I was saying before. So much of Bitcoin is psychological, and we know it. You know, the brand is is what it is. Now, the people like us who actually understand the tech, we're we're a very small percentage of the world. You know, we're a single digit percent of the world, tiny percent, you know, but everybody's heard of Bitcoin by now. So when those, the other 98% of the world is told, okay, now this is Bitcoin. And anybody who tells you differently is a criminal. Uh, you don't think that 98% is just going to just go along with it? I mean, they don't know no, what I mean, proof of stake is. I mean, or proof you have of a point is. if you think about Bitcoin as like this purely speculative store of value. If you think that's going to be the most valuable thing on earth, then sure, then, then you're correct. But that's not what I believe. Right. I think that the utility of blockchain is far more valuable. And part of the utility is the removal of middlemen. That's what makes it so efficient. That, that, that's how we can actually create better products, right? A better money because no one is in control. Right. So I think in the long run, I think that's going to win. That's why, that's why I believe in cryptocurrency. I think, you know, I mean, I think at my heart, I'm still a bit of an optimist, you know, uh, in that I, uh, in that, you know, I mean, sure, there, there are futures where what you're saying plays out, right? Our governments become more totalitarian, right? Um, and, and I think what you're saying is true for China, right? I think authoritarian governments, generally speaking, are just going to be completely incompatible with the ethos of decentralized blockchains. It's just not going to work out, right? At all. Right. So I think, I think, you know, places where you still have, you know, freedom of speech, or at least a a part, a part of it, places where you still have property rights. I think these places can still be, um, you know, accepting of cryptocurrency. And I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not as pessimistic as you are about, about you know, uh, regulators coming down and 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 you know, banning everything. Um, I, I, I suppose I'm a bit more optimistic in terms of that future, and and you know that that we just need to explain to them that no, no, you don't apply the same regulations because there is no intermediary that you need to protect the user, um, you know, uh, from, right. I think that's, that it's fundamentally well, different though. Sorry. But it's not true. As long as we've got DAOs and right. go, uh, multi-sigs sure, sure. That's, and that's chain the devil links. In the details. And- so, Hey, if the regulator goes after these, these things with admin keys, you know what the regulator is doing? The regulator is actually supporting decentralization, which I find wonderfully ironic. Right. So those things, the things with admin keys, sure. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted because the libertarian in me doesn't want more government's interference. 
But on the other hand, I'm like, if they do that, then they're, they are technically protecting people and they're supporting the cause of decentralization. So I think I'm allowed to be conflicted about this particular case. But you know, they won't be able to go after is the truly decentralized projects and they do still exist. Right. And then people do still have the, but that's option. not how it's playing out. No, but it, here's no, how but it's it is though. Out. Cause you do still, I know most people are going to use the wrong thing, right? Especially in the early days. Right. So I'm, I'm with you on that, but, but those options still exist. I can, right. Uh, uh, uh purchase a cryptocurrency anonymously and obscure my IP and I can, well, you can use tornado cash if you want to violate sure, sanctions. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but, but um, I won't be able to send that money back is, to my bank account. Right. <laughs> Without identifying right. the source. You won't be able to do a lot right. of things with but it. But I can. But here's what's yeah. actually happening. What's actually happening is that the polygons of the world and the layer twos of the world and the, the DeFi apps that have multi-sigs of the world, mm. they are, they're not just going to get shut down by the government. They're going, they're keeping access to, to be able to change stuff so that they can comply. And there's negotiations going on. They're negotiating with the government on what these laws and regulations are going to look mm -hmm. like. And the government is not, you know, and SEC is a different story, but there's other, you know, there's other regulators that, and Congress people, you know, if you look at these hearings that are going on, that are being lobbied to, um, to change laws, you know, and so the, the compliance is going to happen, but it's going to be with a new set of laws. And it's going to be a trade off mm -hmm. between what the government wants and what they can mm -hmm. get out of these, these protocols. So we're not talking about just shutdowns, sure. right? We're talking about, the worst case scenario, I think, which is these mutated forms of it's so it's it's more decentralized than what we have now, but it's still giving up so much of what we mm -hmm. thought we were going to get out of crypto, you know. And so that's really the 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 worst case to me, and that's that's why I think Ethereum is heading down that path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, the, and, and this is why also I'm, I'm I've become such a critic of the layer two app. Because it worsens the user experience, it actually um, increases the need for custodians, actually pushing people into these centralized servers and custodians. But but what I don't understand entirely, where I've maybe we we differ a bit, is that I mean they go after these protocols of admin keys, and so so what? You know, we we still have our decentralized options, and sure, we're going to be out there promoting that everyone should use them. Um, what decentralized options? What are you talking about? On Ethereum? Yeah. Yeah. No, for instance. Like you're talking about Uniswap? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Say I, um, I anonymize my coins through Railgun, which is an anonymity protocol, right? And then I run that okay. uh, through Uniswap to swap my coins, right? Then I run it, and then I run it into uh, Aave, right? For all of, and, and, and if I. Well, you'll be banned from Uniswap because Uniswap's now got hooks, which allows. Everybody to create yeah, these, but I'll these, use Uniswap uh, version three protocols, right? That that doesn't have the hooks. Well, the, there's not going to be any liquidity there. You're not. You're going to be easy to target. Okay. Well, then you're I'll, not going to get good rates. Right. But then I'll use a different. You know, it's like no, no. Sure, I'll be hampered, <laughs> right? And 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 I'm on your side here. You're going to be a pirate. Right, sure, yeah. you'll be a pirate. I get it. You know, because that's that's the world we live in, right? And okay. and I and I and agree it's with illegal. you. And I agree with you. We should have more freedom, right? I actually agree with you, and I and I mm -hmm. want that, mm -hmm. right? But let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater here, right? If someone really needs this, if some revolutionary somewhere really needs this, it's still there. And I think that's, that's technically correct, even though it's not as good it's as the, the mainstream thing, right? It's not as user-friendly. It's friendly. there, but 
The the problem is that the admin key driven projects, the VCs that are behind them, are actively trying to make the stuff that you like illegal. They're actively trying yeah, they to say, right? look, like, like if, if someone sure is they no, if, they're out there paying to, to they're paying off Congress yeah. people. But but how do you they stop do someone from for like an anon from you, someone that has proper opsec? How do you stop them from like interacting? With these smart contracts, the, the the ones that don't have admin keys, right? The ones that don't have these things. How do you stop? You them? can't stop exactly. Them, but it's not about some no, some pirate that, anon. But that's exactly you know, my point. You can't stop loving them. guy, right? That's my point. Right. You can't. You can stop that's them empowering. from effectively using it if there's no liquidity. And that's that's. Yeah, but, but that's a good thing, right? That that someone can just have the freedom to do that and nobody can stop them. You have to agree. That's a good thing. It's a good thing until it's illegal, and if they catch you doing no, it, you go to jail. It's still a good thing, even if it's illegal. Then making it illegal is what's bad about that scenario, right? Yeah, yeah. but that's what DeFi is doing. That's what De that's my point. Well, it's the regulators the reason that, that they're doing this. Make it illegal, not DeFi itself. No, no. See, that's where there's confusion, and it's it's the hardest thing to communicate about mm, this space. Okay, is that there are huge organizations, huge VCs, uh, you know, even DeFi developers themselves are out there lobbying for laws, regulations that would hamper competition, that would keep them in their prime spots, that would make uh, competition that doesn't comply with the rules that they're agreeing to be beholden I, to. I have to point basically out, Bit illegal. Bitcoiners are guilty of this too, right? In regards to some Bitcoiners, at least, calling for regulations to their competitors, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure, there's organizations behind Bitcoin industry organizations, too. Yeah. But specifically with regard to Ethereum, we're talking about banking. You know, we're talking about stuff that's going to affect how CBDCs are rolled out. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a whole different level of possible damage, you know, and we're talking about a whole different level of damage to privacy, I think, I'm, you know, with regard I'm to, curious. especially with what's on Ethereum, but beyond that. Because it sounds too, like we're disagreeing. Right, but we're not actually disagreeing with each other, are we? Like, like, what are we actually disagreeing on here? Like, it sounds like we are, but I think we're in agreement. I'm just more optimistic. I think that you, where I think the point of disagreement is, is on the approach to, and the optimism around DeFi mm. on Ethereum. Yeah, I don't see a path forward for DeFi on Ethereum that doesn't involve um, compliance. And compliance that ultimately creates precedence that hurts the rest of the crypto industry with regard to promises of freedom and privacy. Would and it be like any that. different if the DeFi was over Bitcoin? Like if we just had that functionality, wouldn't things just play out exactly the same? It's a good question. I think it depends how it was built, what kind of layer it was built on. You know, I think with like we're, we've have RSK. Uh, which has well, that's that's a perfect example of things. I mean, that's a federated system, right? RSK. Right. Yeah, I think I think all the pretty much almost all of the L two solutions and or DeFi Bitcoin are L two solutions. I mean, but like hypothetically, if it had native DeFi like programmability built in, just pure hypothetical, like I think it would play out the same. Well, this is my concern with BIP three hundred. Mm. You know, is that could we end up seeing? The and, and I haven't been able to. I I, I want to do a whole separate podcast about this, you know, because um, part of my concern goes beyond anything technical and beyond anything that that is written in a in a white paper or anything like that. It's about longer term. 
how is this going to bring in big money that's going to try to corrupt the integrity of the base layer? Yeah, and I I get that basically the way that it works is it doesn't change the base layer, right? It just everything can work as it always has. It just adds new functionality. Miners won't know any difference. They're just going to look like regular I believe it's merged mines, so miners do need to watch the um the drive chain. But but yes, it is uh it is a layer 2, so layer 1 continues as is. Sorry, continue. Right. And there could be hundreds of, of, of mm-hmm. these drive chains, you know, and all doing different things. Um, what I don't fully understand yet is what kind of unintended consequences could that have politically, you know, with this amorphous governance system that you nicely described, you know, like, like what, you know, corruption with developers, um, like all that other stuff. Like I haven't heard that fully vetted out, you know, and that's the part that I get concerned about. So I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that but, either, but um, I think yeah. we have to give it our our best shot. You know, like I tend to be optimistic, but it doesn't necessarily change my course of action because I'm still going to advocate for decentralization. I'm still going to call out centralization where I see it. Right? It's it's still yeah. That's that's where I think you know that that's what really matters, right? And you know, the world can go either way, right? Like this this factors outside of our control that. Could, that could sway the world one way or another. And, you know, I think um, as long as I'm doing my best in terms of pushing things in, in a better direction, I think that's, that's what matters. And I mean, I mean, ultimately I'm curious, it just, it comes across almost pessimistic. You still think we're going to win, right? At the end of this long road. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking that when you were saying what you you were just saying, I think, that is our biggest difference in approach is that you come at it from an optimistic point mm. of view and I come at it uh, from the point of view that, that I believe people, humans are inherently greedy and inherently fallible and that money in our, in our today's mutated, mutated, uh, we don't live in a capitalist society. We live in like this mutated form of capitalism sure. that's, you know, crossed over with socialism and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you know, crony capitalism. Mm. I think that in this mutated economic world we live in, there's, there's dangers everywhere. Yeah. And it makes it very, very unlikely that we're going to be able to achieve what we want to achieve. And I think that the only way we can do it is by coming at it from a completely adversarial approach mm. and assume that every human involved is going to mess up at some point. You know, and I think that the only hope that we have is to assume the worst in mm. people and to try to, use technology to avert it, to avert those, those, you know, bad intentions that people just have it in the, in the, at their core, you know? So I think that's the difference in how we approach it. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you're right about that. Um, it's, um, I've corrupted you. hmm? Sorry. I've corrupted you. No. Yeah. But I think, I think on, on another hand, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, we have to, we have to do the best we can, you know? And, and I think ultimately, um, ultimately I do think cryptocurrency will succeed. And, and I think also, I think one thing that, that differentiates our, our different viewpoints here is that it's about how we're prioritizing threats. It seems to me like for you, some of the biggest threats to cryptocurrency are external. And actually in my view, and this is related to a lot of the work I've done around governance in my view, I think the biggest threat to cryptocurrency is actually internal. I think we're like our own worst enemy in so many ways. Like it's, 
Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's the corruption that happens from within, or the susceptibility. I think you know for corruption. I think is is one of is like the biggest threat to me. Like I actually, I'm I'm fairly optimistic, you know, when it comes to the regulatory side of things. I mean, there's going to be ups and downs, and and tug of war is going to go back and forth, and the pendulum is going to swing. But I'm I'm I think I'm more optimistic on that front than you are. But I'm I'm far more concerned about being our own worst enemy and that and that it's 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 our own internal systems of governments that are actually the biggest threat and will i think in my view continue to delay mass adoption unfortunately because of just wrong choices being made um mm-hmm. to consequence yeah i agree with you i i agree on a lot of that i i think actually the biggest threats come probably right at the the edge the the edge between internal and external, and, you know, and it's when the external forces find their way in right. through weak defenses, you know, that's where it starts yeah. to get nasty. That's where the two viewpoints combine. We've seen a lot of that already. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. But, yeah. um, well, listen, man, this has been a great chat. We've gone way over time. Mm, I enjoyed um, this. This was fun. And, uh, we're probably pushing the limits of anybody who, who's still listening. So we'll, <laughs> but we, we should do it again Let's sometime. I think it's great. I think I love we, chatting. So we only got through half of my list. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about privacy. I want to talk to you about um, a bunch privacy of other stuff. Privacy is a human right. Let me just shove Amen. that in. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely do it again. But thanks for spending all this time. Oh, it was a pleasure. And yeah, and, and again, I really um, admire the the, the work you've been doing as well. So just just keep up and, Thank and we're going to keep crusading Same. for decentralization and freedom. And, and you know, that's, that's what matters. Thank you so much for us. It sure does.